Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at Reconditioning HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. Uh, this is another legendary performance conversation. I have a, an esteemed group of professionals, at least uh, I think they are right now, but we'll see how they all behave during this next hour and a quarter or so. Uh, brought together by a um, um, connection of mine, David Joyce, who was um, good enough to introduce me to this group. So I'm going to go around the room and just let you guys introduce yourselves. And I'll start with David, who who helped me put this together. Dave, maybe you can let the, the audience know uh, your background and what you're doing. Yeah, hi, Scotty. Um, my name's David Joyce. I'm a um, sports performance professional. I'm, my background is both as a as a physio and a strength coach and last probably 10, 15 years have, have led performance programs around the world. And uh, this year, um, uh, like the rest of the world, take a bit of a backseat out of out of professional sport. But mine was volitionally and before COVID, because um, I'm just spending a year going back to school and, and and actually going through business school. So that's me. Awesome, Ian McCown. Yep, sure. I'll go next. Um, Ian McCown, um, also known as Mackers, or everyone calls me Mackers. Um, Every, all my family, everybody. Um, so I'm originally from Northern Ireland, from a little country town outside Belfast. You can see some of the pictures um, are prints from back home in the, in, in our room here. Um, I came to Australia over um, 11 years ago now um, to go from a, my strength and conditioning job at um, the Sports Institute for Northern Ireland uh, to then go into the AIS or the Australian Institute of Sport, where I um, did my PhD alongside a full-time coaching load. Um, after I finished that, I ended up uh, going down to Port Adelaide um, and Port Adelaide Football Club in the AFL. Um, uh, originally as an S coach or head of strength and power, um, and I've worked my way through the ranks um, through attrition and and everything else. Um, so now uh, this is my third season as head of high performance there now so um you yeah, have um ridden the wave at port adelaide now for over eight seasons so it's um I mean, obviously we're in a, a little bit of hiatus at the moment but um looking forward to getting back um pretty soon i think awesome welcome you nice to meet you dan lewinden hello everybody yes my name's dan uh i'm speaking today from the uk um, my role currently is head of sports science and medicine for the LTA, which is the kind of national governing body of tennis in the UK. Um, 
which I've been in this role for about three and a half years now. Um, my background is I'm a physiotherapist by trade. And a bit like Joycey, um, did some um, S&C training thereafter. Um, I think I'm about 17 years and counting in sport. And I've lost all my hair as a result. Um, but I'm now growing a <laughs> beard. We're in lockdown, which doesn't look too bad on camera. It looks terrible in person. Um, yeah, that's, that's me. Beautiful. Larchland, Wilmot. Yeah, guys, uh, my name's uh, Lachlan Wilmot, uh, or Lockie uh, for short, which uh, my mother will kill me for saying that because she refuses to call me it. Um, my, uh, my background is, is, a, is a trade, is pure S&C. Um, I was a personal trainer back in the day, so I came through the, uh, the ranks of fitness first, doing sales, being ruthless on the gym floor and learning the trade, and then uh, moved through the, uh, the junior ranks of, of Australian football here in Australia um, and was lucky enough to get a role within the GWS Giants AFL team um, when they were a brand new team um had a, a couple of bosses there one of them being Joycey uh, managed to trick him to thinking I was an okay bloke for a few years which was good uh, and then got a role uh, I was lucky enough to get a, a head of performance role over in the dark side of the the NRL or the rugby league here uh, in Australia with the Parramatta Eels um was there for for two years and and um sort of ultimately decided to, to make the shift, which is a bit of a strange one for most people um, that talk to me, sort of say, why would you leave pro sport when you got into it? But um, I, uh, I've got a private facility that I've had sort of building on the side called Athletes Authority. And, um, you know, I was in a pretty lucky situation that it got to a size that um, ultimately if I didn't jump in, um, it probably wouldn't have been able to keep going the way it was. But also uh, my business partner would have killed me as well, I reckon, if you had to do one more year without me. Um, so I made the decision to jump jump across and that was just before COVID so uh, I was kind of lucky to be honest because I don't know how I'd be managing um, having been stood down for a little bit without pay but also having a private facility that wasn't functioning so uh, at least I had all my eggs in one basket with this one so I could pivot a little bit quickly but um, but that's me as it stands. Nice. Chris, introduce yourself. Yeah, my, name, yeah, my name's Chris Cavillio. So I, I started off as a strength and conditioning coach and uh, worked in multi-sports and probably before the days of where there was, you know, many opportunities as a full-time SSC coach. And my journey took me to the UK. Um, I actually met Joycey whilst over there working in Bath Rugby. It was my first full-time job. And being a strength coach, that's what I loved and I, I always thought I'd do. And then um, I met some, some great people over there, still great people, great friends today, and got me into, the I guess, the sports science and, and started my what ended up being my PhD. I, I missed the sunshine, came back to Australia and um, got a role um, with the Gold Coast Suns in their startup for, for three seasons. And um, I've moved back to multi-sports, so um, working in Olympic-based sports primarily in track and field, and that's my background is, is track and field. And also um, quite fortunate to also work uh, with the Queensland State of Origin team as well. So I'll I go in specifically on a camps basis for the last um, three years uh, with that team as well. So really taking that journey from, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still a coach, um, very applied and pragmatic, I like to think, um, but really being introduced to the, to the, the sports science side of the world and, and trying to mix the two together. Beautiful. Well, I think this is a really eclectic and cool group of guys together in one room. I'm the one without or with the accent, I guess. It depends on how you look at it. Um, 
I appreciate all you guys bringing your time here today. And I, I, you know, I'm going to try to referee in some sense, the conversation, but what I don't want to do is restrict it. And the idea here is uh, it's very rare that a group of guys like ourselves get in a room. And sometimes it happens at a conference where you have a beer in your hand and you get to chat, but you don't really get to do these very often. And I don't want to stop any one of you from asking each other a question or or cross pollinating here on a subject. So I'm going to try to uh, tease some things out of you guys, but at the same time, if you want to ask a question to a peer or, or or to me or vice versa we're we're it's a welcome uh, open conversation so just to, you know put up your hand or even interject because it's not a big group um, i'll start by saying you know the uh, as i said in the email that i sent to you guys the idea of this is to talk about the concept of how we work in, in with one another in an environment where we're we're our focus is the performance of an athlete or a team, and oftentimes we, you know, we're le- we learn in our silo of knowledge, and then we sort of try to horizontally grow. And the problems often when we're working with people is not necessarily understanding one another or what one another does. And I'm just curious if anybody has an immediate reaction to how they have best navigated that world of working with somebody else. To, to the betterment of performance of an athlete and making it work well. So, you know, I open it to anybody, and if not, I'll pick one of you and ask you what your thoughts. But if there's somebody who's really got a feeling for that conversation, jump in. Dan, I can see it in you. Oh, go ahead, Lackey. I think it's a, it sort of um, starts a topic that a lot of people are talking about now, especially with the COVID incident around your, your generalists versus specialists and um, the fact that a lot of people are talking now that, you know, if, if you are too much of a specialist, you're probably going to struggle um, with the reduction in, in department sizes. And I think um, the, the generalist mentality is what allows really good departments to work well together because if you're so siloed in your knowledge, you, you probably don't see not just the the positives of other people but the the i suppose the hurdles that they face in their area and the more you start to understand the hurdles they face the more you can start to work better with them and i think um you know coming through the ranks um within the afl seeing the amount of effort the physios and physical therapists put through um with certain players and certain things and start to get an understanding of the problems they face i think as a strength conditioning coach you you're pretty close then to the understanding of how to deal with them and how to manage them as, as people and, and people that work in your department. It's, it's the, um, the silos that create the friction and, and that silo gets bigger and bigger the more you focus on your own niche area. So I think um, a very simple answer is that the, the generalists seem to have a better understanding of what everyone's doing and, and tend to work better in those areas rather than, than those real silo-based people that, that feel dietetics or sports science is the only solution to so many problems. So, um, and hopefully I think with COVID, it starts to design more of a generalist type department. Our sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com, is going virtual. The Reconditioning Level 1 has been turned into a complete online experience, and all the time-tested systems and processes are now available to you in 20 hours of online video modules and two virtual Zoom sessions. Reconditioning is a very powerful language and system of practice that brings the worlds of therapy and performance together in one complete package and helps you deliver the most powerful injury and performance solutions to your clients. Check them out at reconditioninghq.com today and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Cool. I'm going to stay with you for one second, uh, Latch, just to talk about that in the sense that um, what have been your strategies in your growth process to uh, to recognize that? In other words, you know, we're all sort of um, 
initiated in our growth process through education to be in that silo. It's what's sort of expected of us. So when did you have sort of that epiphany and was there a moment where you had to sort of recognize that, hey, I have to look around and and explore the the horizontal aspect of my my knowledge versus the vertical? Um, to, to be honest, without blowing wind up, up him, I reckon under Joyce, he was a big part of that. But, you know, in that environment at the Giants, um, we, we certainly, for me anyway, um, you, you get to a stage where you can, you can only keep creating more programs um, to a certain extent. And then all you're doing is, you know, what's the next step? How do I make them better? And I think naturally you start to, to gravitate towards other solutions. You know, you've, you've read every method under the sun when it comes to strength conditioning. So, so there's no point knowing those methods if the, the idiots are still, you know, getting sore tendons. Like, so if I can't do any of the methods, and then I need to figure out how to fix that. So it, it starts to become that hunt of, okay, well, how can I make sure that their tendons are good? to ensure that they can do these amazing methods that I've created or I've found. Um, and then when the tendons are fine, it's suddenly something else. And you're like, well, I think it's that that sort of continuous hunt to try and make sure that, that your athletes are in the best shape to be able to do, you know, for me anyway in my area, what my specialty is. And and I've, I've sort of gravitated away from saying the old specialty and trying to create a a generalist with an interest and you know my interest is plyometrics and jumps and power and stuff like that and I really take an interest in it but there's no point creating that as a specialty in a silo if I have no idea how to how to manage sore tendons because I can tell you right now there's gonna be plenty of people that do plyometric work to get sore tendons and mm. for me then all I do is brush them to the side and work with a smaller smaller niche until there's nobody left so I think um, I think it's a, it's a natural evolution of, of a lot of people but I think if if younger coaches can start with that mentality early days then then it creates you know a, a far faster progress I think mm. nice David, how do you play off of that when he, he mentioned you in there? So why why were you an influencing factor and where's your mindset on, on the subject? Uh, Lockie actually um, summed that up really well, particularly with his, with his second part, because uh, I, I think there's still a role for the specialist, um, but I don't think a team can be just full of specialists. I think there needs to be one person at least that that um, if you've got lots of trenches going really deep, there needs to be someone that can interlink the trenches. Um, and I was lucky enough to, when I was at the Giants, to have a, a whole heap of people that not only were they specialists in their area, but they also had the empathy to understand the interconnections of, of human performance, lucky being um, chief amongst that. So the, the starting point for me is understanding that there is no aspect of performance that exists as an island. It's a, it's like a spider's web. If you pull one bit, it tugs on another bit. And so in that spirit that if um, someone breaks a, a, a squat record in the gym, no doubt that's down to a, in a huge part to the athlete and to Lockie's programming, but it's also the fact that the physios have kept them um, their, their, their back um, in in good shape and their knees and and the dietitian has has done some fantastic work with their with their their food intake and and the whole lot so everyone deserves the credit for that so I've I've had a uh, I've got an egalitarian perspective when it comes to performance in in that regard and and it's certainly something that I um, I look for when I recruit 
but I'm I'm hesitant to say that the world should be full of generalists because then we'll sacrifice some depth and we do need depth in, in what we do. Mm, I like that. Anybody else want to pipe in here? Dan, you look like you've been wanting to say something. I can <laughs> see it in your face. Thank you. Uh, well, no, I guess a lot of what um, those two guys say resonates with me. Um, when I hear that question, I think about my own journey to date. So um, as a young physio working in sport, even before that, I guess, um, I was always driven to know as much as I could about the area I was in. So I spent probably the first I'd say 10, 12 years work, well, certainly 10 years working in sport, knowing as much as I could to be as good as I could be. And I think you then, you then start to realize that you can know as much as you want, but it's only the influence you have and the connectivity you have, which creates the outcome that you want. Um, I was really lucky that I worked, I kind of landed a job with England rugby um, for a number of years where I, I formed part of a very strong integrated team. Um, already relatively established and people that were very good people. And I think that's, that's what's key here is obviously that, that people come first, the quality of the people you have, the relationships they create between each other creates a level of trust, which then creates the interdependencies and integrated working. Um, and I just kind of fell into it. So I kind of kept going and learning more and hopefully getting better. But, but never really thinking to how I presented myself and how I communicated really well to get, hopefully, the outcome that I wanted and we wanted. Um, and it's only since I've taken the role I have now where it is all, it's literally all about that. So um, I can be as clever as I want to be in tennis, but unless I understand where my coaches are coming from, where my practitioners are coming from, unless I give them an equal voice, and unless we kind of respect and really champion other people's point of view, you're never going to get the kind of outcome you want ultimately. You're never going to get that spider's web that Joyce talked about. Um, there's, there's so much more at play than you ever think about when you're a bit younger going through this kind of journey. For me anyway, that's, that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. Does anybody else have a, a comment on that before I move, move the subject a little bit? to a different space. Sure. I, th I think uh, if I can uh, jump in and I think mm -hmm. it sort of complements Dan's point um, there at the start that you made, mate, um, and sort of um, links in with what Lockie said. Um, I, I get this feeling now that because uh, everyone wants to grow their knowledge and everyone wants to get wider with what they do, but, and where we'll talk about, you know, not having a silo mentality and but what I, I think that if you get people who are growing their knowledge for maybe, their own selfish reasons that they rather than it being about a sharing and, and a team team first approach it actually means that they're all they're doing is trying to make their silo bigger so they have more in their silo and they don't have um, enough space for anyone else so i think that absolutely we all want to be growing and, and and growing horizontally across different areas while still having that depth that joycey talks about but we also have to make sure that we're we're also disseminating and sharing and 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 adding what what unique takes we have from our depth to those to those to that to that knowledge that we're they're growing rather than ending up. I'd say it too often now where where people's because we, we the internet is so much you know everyone everyone's knowledge base is so much greater. Um, it doesn't mean their intelligence is, and I think <laughs> that you find that people end up knowing a lot more about a lot a lot more, but how they actually practice it is, is, is really quite poor. And 
And I think that that's, that's one of the, the things that I see, whether it's about, you know, everyone's now an expert in training load. Everyone's an expert in um, whatever, acute chronic. Everyone's, a, everyone's an expert in stats now, apparently. Everyone's, you know, everyone's an expert in all these different areas. Whenever you, you're really, you really get lost. Um, and, and if you think that you, you can do all that, I think you end up in a real big, in a dark place. Um, and, you, and you'll get found out. Um, and that's probably sort of if that, if that helps link those three guys' comments together, I think that that's something that um, that I've started to see a lot of now. Matrix Fitness is one of the largest commercial fitness brands in the world and one of the fastest growing in the industry. Their equipment and programs are used by athletes and coaches at all levels globally. COVID-19 has changed and will change so many things. During these uncertain times, Matrix's team of engineers have quickly put together its free home workout app and youth at home workout programs. With its launch just a couple of weeks ago, they now have first responders, pro athletes, and average folks using the guide to help them with their daily movement. This is a great example of how Matrix strives to be the best fitness company in the world to serve people and communities is their goal. You can download their free app and see additional resources at matrixtotalsolutionssupport.com. That is https www.matrixfitnesssolutionssupport.com. Good point. Chris, did you have any thoughts on this? you wanted yeah, the two words that really resonated with me is is people and relationships and when people talk about silos um i think it's you know if you have good people together silos just won't exist because they they're able to communicate and and realize you know that they're working together um so you know that that's been bantered around before but when you have really great people working together um that never happens because they're able to to have that understanding of, and I guess a lot of this comes from experiences. So the more experiences you have over time, you're able to then to to realise that. Uh, I, I guess it's almost like let, letting go because you, you you think you have this knowledge when you first start out. You have a small amount of knowledge, and then over time, it's, it's you sort of saying, "Mate, there's so much stuff out there." And as soon as you start learning more, you realise there's even a greater amount. Um, and, you know, with that, you know, when uh, Lockie was talking about, you know, different programs and, and so forth, you know, with, with respect to, say, team sports, for example, um, does it matter if we give a, like a three-by-two or a three-by-three? For most football players or team sport athletes, I'd say no because um, I think it's understanding what drives the athlete. Uh, and I've worked with a lot of great athletes, and it's definitely not the gym. Um, they, you know, football, they just want to play football. So how can you drive a great training environment? You know, how can you, um, you know, rather than being driven by a squat PB, it's, you know, it's letting go of our ego as a strength coach and saying, well, you know, we're not going to go for a max and a squat. We're, you know, we're going to do some step-ups. Um, because at the end of the day, it's your ability to be able to to not be sore and to be able to play on the weekend. And I think when the, the players see that that genuine interest and, and, you know, you aren't driven, but, you know, you have that conversation about that, um, I think that really makes 
that whole picture in terms of the, the team as well because, you know, the same message has been delivered when the athlete goes to the physio and they're talking to the coach and they're, they're, they're delivering that message, you know, the, yeah, we've, we've deloaded the squat so we can make sure we're doing this and that. And one thing that I remember when I started working, um, there's a, a rugby coach called John Connolly named Knuckles. Um, and, you know, when you talk about a, a good head coach, it's a good people person. And the first, this is my first full-time job. And he sat me down and he said, mate, the number one thing you got to do is, you know, form those relationships with your athletes, you know, get them, get them on your side, you know, find out what makes them tick. Because when you get, get to that place, you can get them to do pretty much whatever you want to do because that level of trust is so high. And, you know, that comes back to the, is it a three by two, three by three, um, you know, does it really matter? No, but, you know, in, in certainly in team sports, it's creating that environment where everyone, you know, I guess uh, in male aggressive-based sports, you know, you're willing to die for each other. Um, you want to create that environment that, that you'll do anything. And it doesn't matter where it's an extra rep. The boys are going to train hard for you and you're going to go the extra mile for them. Mm. That's a, I, I want to explore off of the back of that because you talked about the coach and this is the thing I'm really curious about with all of you guys and your experiences is I think that, you know, our industry has gotten better in the last, I would say, 10 years about talking about this subject matter and actually recognizing that, uh, to David's point, we, we both need the, the specialist and the, and the generalist and the, and the exploration of how we kind of inter, interplay these and create these environments. And they're getting better and better. But what still seems to be the gap, and I'm curious what you guys have seen, is the true understanding of the, call it the technical coach, um, and their understanding of what this, I, I like to use the analogy of the computer, what this fancy computer actually can do. And fundamentally, most coaches look at the fancy computer, the sports science group, and they say, you know what, I, I really only need know how to surf the net, so I'm going to surf the net. That's what makes me comfortable. And they don't use the technology. So the question becomes, even when we've had these situations like you're talking about, David, where now we've recognized that maybe we need somebody who manages the hen house, so to speak, and brings everybody together. Um, how, do we, how do we do a better job? And it's not so much teaching, but it's the relational management of us connecting to the coach so that the coach understands the value prop and actually engages in it and vice versa. And that's really the conversation, the deeper conversation I want to have with you guys, because I think that's still the missing link. How do we bring the coach into the conversation um, and make, make them part of the process and make them understand the power of the computer? Anybody want to jump on that one? Go ahead, Dan. I see you. I see you. Okay. Well, I'll check myself in. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I read, I obviously read your email, which included this question with, with real interest. And um, I mean, we could talk about this for days, I'm sure. So as an opener, I guess, um, my experiences and perspectives are that there have been coaches who have been very au fait, comfortable, curious about sports science and there have been those who haven't um, and for me that sometimes comes down to the interplay between sporting wisdom and experience versus you know newfangled science it still comes back to me to 
trust and curiosity and building relationships. So much, much to Chris's point about building the relationship with the athlete, I think the same goes for building it with the coach or the coaches. I think it's the same, it's the same piece where um, through, through my distant and dark past, you know, I've, I've been guilty of being egocentric about this, this is the right way and this is, this is how we get the job done. And inevitably, it's not right. It's just one perspective. Um, so I guess my, my opener for the group, you know, in terms of my view, is that taking the time to build the relationship with the coach, understanding their pressures, their perspectives, their drivers, and whether that's they've got to win the next match or they're going to lose the job, um, they've got to do well in the season or they're going to lose the job, um, and, and how those kind of pressures and perspectives influence their ability to receive different perspectives and points of view from others. Hmm. Um, there's, there's a big thing for me about the changes that people are ready to make and the old technology chasm, you know, the kind of iPhone conversation where when the iPhone came out, some people went for it straight away, didn't even need to be tested. They wanted it. Amazing. I need that. Some people who were waiting, they waited to see that it was good and they were prepared to leave the Nokia behind. And there's still people today using a Nokia who are never going to go there. And I think, you know, when it comes to sports science and innovation, um, there's always a piece here around the changes that people are ready to make and giving them the why and taking the time to build a relationship and, and I guess giving them in their words and in their language how it's going to help them from an impact perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that's how I'd open that up. Beautiful. Over to everybody else. Yeah, Chris. So, so, so my point there, which I think goes on from that, Dan, is, is that, you know, with the relationship is rather than a sports scientist coming and saying, this is what I can offer, it's trying to understand what the coach truly wants. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that takes time to tease out. And I think the skill in a good sports scientist is to have, you know, the fancy RAM, the fancy gigabytes and whatever, but actually say, this is what we can do for you um, in, in a real simple term so they can understand it. You have this wide spectrum of coaches now who, who love the detail, but I think still being able to um, give the information that they want. In the background, there may be five different components of technicality which get to that really simple point. Um, but I, I think that opens up the doors for more complex things because once there's that understanding of knowing what the coach wants, it's then seeing how you can build upon the layers on that of complexity. And that takes time. And I think also, you know, the slow burn, it comes to mind here is that, um, you know, trying to instigate some certain, even a project or, or certain information, it may not be the right time. But if you know that you can slowly work on the steps, I think that's the way of introducing a coach into, you know, kind of meeting you part way. Mm. Yeah, I think um, it's it's pretty obvious in regards to like the the connection and everything like that that that, that everyone's been talking about. And I don't, I won't repeat what everyone's just said, but I think a, a really a really interesting thing that I sort of found, especially moving to the para side of things for for people that have worked in rugby league, they're um, probably you know a little bit more resistant to some of the the more advancements in some of the sports science side. And um, the coach I worked in particular is a, a very very ruthlessly old school style guy, but but nonetheless very um, very open open minded to being the 
best, um, whether that be, you know, from a scientific progression, he probably didn't matter. It was more that he, he thought something would make us better. Um, and I found obviously the education side, the connection, building that relationship, understanding how they work as a coach is, is key, but it's also the assistant coaches, I think, are such an important part of it as well. Um, you know, we, I worked heavily with the development coach into the assistant coaches, um, used myself and my staff connecting with them from a, an offensive point of view. What, what do you want to know more about offensively and, and produce reports for them? And, and they started to use them more when they spoke to the head coach. And then the, you know, the head coach would be like, well, where, where's this coming from? How are we driving this? And, and then he would ask for more things. So I think it's, it's obviously building the relationships and everything like that. But I, I found a really nice in is, is not necessarily going for the, the big head straight away and the big home run straight off the bat. Build that relationship, understand it, don't throw too much into the pot at once, but also get get to the the generals and start to talk to them and and work out what do they need, what do they want, how can you how can you fill a hole for them, and start doing that very simply and just keep layering it on. Um, I found that quite effective. Here again with another word from our sponsor Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat of evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order, just use the discount code LYM20. I think Lockie's, Lockie's point about picking off the um, assistant coaches is a really good one um, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to influence an outcome rather than influence a person necessarily. Um, and and what really what you can do is if you can – if you can create, you can create a culture through a number of. In fact, I would say you have to create a number, uh, create a culture through a number of people. You can't do it off your own bat. Um, in in response to Dan's point about some some coaches being on the iPhone and some being on the Nokia, um, my experience tells me that that gets down to a the age of the coach. Often, not always. If they've grown up, if they're relatively young and have grown up through uh, an era where their sport, where there has been sports science, you know they're familiar because they were playing with it. You know they they know what GPS is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but it also depends on what type of player they were. If we if we take into account that most team sport coaches were team sport players, um, if they were just a, 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 a immensely skilled player that didn't really have to pay much attention to their athleticism or their preparation. They may not put as much stock into it as someone who had to look for every single bit of marginal gains because those people are the ones that have investigated the technology, have investigated the type of trainings that's going to get them to that next level. So they tend to be a little bit more investigative. So you've got to kind of understand who you're dealing with. And then to Chris's point about... Um, 
you know, don't try and just sell the solution. You really do, it's the same with marketing, you really do have to understand the problem. And I know for from my perspective, I've, I've made several errors where I've gone to the head coach or someone saying, look, look, I've, I've found the answer, but it may not be to the question they're asking. Mm. So the relationship piece really is getting down to understanding what their problem is and then working out how you can create influence that way. It's very easy to say just have a have a relationship and, you know, all those sorts of things, but there is nuance to how to do it and there is technique and um, but and it, and it is easy to say it gets down to people and it's true, but not all coaches are easy to get to know. Not all coaches are going to say, yeah, yeah, Joycey will come over for a beer. So that you've got to find ways around that if you're going to be successful in your job. I think, Dan, you'd probably, you probably have to work with a number of coaches. What's, what's the best way that you've gone about doing that? Um, yeah, so I think, like you described, there's some people that immediately you do warm to and you, you build quite a, collaborative personable relationship very very quickly um and you have some shared experiences you know which which forge that over time within team sports for other guys who are more about business at hand and don't want that level of interaction i think as you describe it's it's dialing into what's the outcome that they need to see it's it's giving them confidence that you're you're on that train so you you talk um somewhere else about kind of the north star and having having a really aligned mission and making it bloody obvious that I'm, I'm in this with him and we're kind of standing shoulder to shoulder. Um, and I think then, you know, to Lachlan's point, there's, there's a piece here around building this slowly and taking it one step at a time and starting with something which is very familiar to them in language presentation, but it's just that little bit slightly removed and gives them that little bit more to create the curiosity to get some more again. And you, you've got to take them on a journey and, Again, there's, there's always these light bulb moments, isn't there? We've all seen it where you kind of you say the right thing in the right moment in the right way and suddenly the door's open and, you, and you've, got to, you've got to recognize it and walk through it. And there are times when the door's closed and if you, if you peek your head around, you're about to get your head bitten off. You know, that's, that's not the time to say, i got a great idea here. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that self-awareness and awareness of them and seeing things through their eyes. You know, I, I would never dream of bringing some new technology or innovation to someone the night before a major event for example none of us would it's, it's kind of there's a timing piece here um and yeah I've, I've worked with a lot of coaches some of them absolutely hated me some of them quite liked me um and you've got to check your ego out and, and and not worry about that and as you say come back to the outcome at hand and um you know build the trust that way there you go and it's an, it's an iterative process, isn't it? Like you've got to buy bullets before cannonballs. Sure. Well, I also think to Dan's point there is really good is you, like you're not always going to be best mates with them, and that's that's not the sign of a, of a good relationship. You know, there's there's plenty of coaches that you, you said yourself you get along with really well, but there's other coaches you're just never going to get along with. The same in the world. You, you just don't get along with everyone. So the, the aim is to build that relationship that's a working relationship and, and find those connections and find how to be a chameleon without being a different person in the fact that you throw your morals out the window, but you also want to tailor yourself to, to know how to get through to that, that coach at that time and those different times and, and just because you don't have a beer with them every Friday night, it doesn't mean you haven't built a good connection um, 
and probably vice versa. Just because you have a beer with someone every night doesn't mean they're going to believe everything you say about a certain topic. So I think it's uh, very uh, the, the relationships you build, build can be very different in nature, but it doesn't mean they don't all, all work. Well, I want to play off of that a little bit. Um, you know, it's it'll take me a little bit of time to unpack this question, but effectively, it's human nature for us to want to belong and to contribute. And we get into team environments or we're working with performance groups. And in some way, we need to self-validate what it is that we're doing. Are, are we doing a good job? And we all know that in performance sport, it's very rare that somebody comes over and actually tells you you're doing a good job. So effectively, what I've seen in my career, and this is something I've recognized and begun to change over time, and, and, and I'm always curious and learning about, but early in my career, I think, like most of us, we self-validate around what what we understood to be the nature of the problem, and did we create a solution for it? So I, you know, to Dan's point, or Chris's point earlier, you know, we came up with the methodological program, created the the, the end result, we tested it, we said, hey, he jumps, you know, 30, 30 inches now, we're all happy, et cetera, et cetera. The, the point being that over time, we start to recognize that that's not going to necessarily work as a self-validating self principle within a group and a team. Um, also, we have coaches who don't necessarily provide us with any feedback. So the, the bigger overarching question is, how do we know we're doing a good job effectively without being attached to our specialist nature if you understand where i'm going with that question how do we know we're 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 contributing to the greater good of that community in some sense oh i stumped the group there i like that that's always a that's a <laughs> that, that, that's a that's a re really good question um and you know i I think this is the, the, you know, kind of almost the, maybe the generalist versus a specialist, but more as a, as a general part, when I first started in, in um, football, in rugby union, you know, there was um, two strength coaches and I did, you know, I did everything, you do everything, you know, you, you help the kit man, um, you pick up the cones, you fill the water bottles, um, I'm helping with the nutrition. And for me, that was a really great upbringing because, you know, it's it's like the the Domino's Pizza example. To become a manager, from my understanding, you got to start working in the store, so you understand the processes. Um, so consequently, you, you're doing all these different jobs, and um, you know you're always willing to. Well, for myself, you know, always willing to um, lend, lend a hand, and and you know, your primary job is is your main one, and you know, you just it's about that relationship thing. And I think that's a great thing about um, team sports or almost sports. In fact, it's, you know, for me, um, you know, people say, do I miss pro footy? And it's like, yeah, I, I do, but I love the people I work with um, and I gravitate towards those people. Um, so whether I want to go have, whether we're going to have a beer or not, as the other guy suggested, may not be in some cases, but, um, you know, being good in just general conversation um, and picking up those skills as, as a conversationalist um, is important skills that you just, you know, you learn about, you know, so-and-so's family and their kids. And, and I think when you can see 
that someone's willing to, although they're not going to have a beer with you, you know, they're happy to sit down and have a conversation, have a coffee, and um, it may be really short. Um, so, you know, in um, the state of origin type setup, because it's quite camp, quite short, um, uh, you know, uh, we're doing a good job. No one's going to go around doing that because then as soon as we leave, we're all gone. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm ensuring that, you know, I'm having those conversations, you know, across the spectrum because I'm enjoying hanging out with those people. And um, I th- I'm quite lucky if I get invited back, I think I'm doing a good job, um, which is different to a contractual year to year. Um, but I think you get that feeling that, you know, from the people that you work with that, yeah, it may not be a best mate type scenario, but but rather that you've you've they can sense there's a genuine interest in them um, aside from the performance of a team, which once again builds into the whole relationship um, building and so forth we spoke earlier. But great question. Cool. Yeah, if I can, I'll I'll yeah, take yeah, cool from in. there from Chris um, and. I, without being too esoteric about it, or I, I think that how do we know we've done a good job is whenever people keep asking for your help, um, and that can be you know I, I just I think back to the people who I who I'll ask for help from, and it's the people who one I trust, one that I know that are going to do the job are going to help me that aren't going to ask for too much in return or, you know, it's not going to be a difficult relationship to have. And that can be the head coach asking me for the, their help with a certain player to get through to them or whether it's, you know, as Chris said, you know, it's helping the guy that's doing the water and helping him fill up the water bottles, like to be that person that everyone knows that they can ask for your, your for a help and you'll give it to them and you'll be successful with what you want. I think that that's, you know, that from the most technical and, and you know, it can be from a mentor point of view, from a, a supervisory point of view, from a whatever the high-fangled sort of science and performance stuff, right through to the basics of moving house or helping out, you know, can you look after my kid for 15 minutes while I take a phone call? If, if you're the person that people go to for that, that's, that I think for me, that's the sign of that you're doing you're doing your job well because our job is has to be it's us you know it's it's a it's purely human interaction thing and if you can't do that i'm I'm sorry but you you can be you there's white people that are smarter than me and i I don't care if if people still keep, keep coming back to me for for questions and for answers that's that for me that's the biggest thing matrix fitness produces training equipment that focuses on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike with equipment that focuses on building speed power and explosive performance in the most efficient manner matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations worldwide as a global brand with local support the matrix performance team assists their customers with solutions research and training protocols so coaches can focus on what they do best help athletes prepare for competition and get better. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Matrix Fitness Canada for the latest updates around the success stories that document what makes Matrix unique as an equipment manufacturer.
I'll, I'll probably add to, <clears throat> add to that from a, another deeper, meaningful position and say that I think the, the people that we are <clears throat> um, and the way that we we um, we function, we, we always look at the measurables, we try and track everything we do, we, we have that sort of mentality, so we naturally look for, for those KPIs and those objective measures and and I think um, from from my point of view, it's it's something that um, I've found it's, it's quite hard. I think we've all just established that it is quite hard for us to prove a good job has been done because we are, we are so up in the air with other teams, other coaches, everything else that's involved. But um, I've found something over the past few years of, of, you know, just simple journaling type of stuff. I tend to write down my wins and losses for the day <clears throat> and um, – and it's been a really good way for me to start looking back, especially going to Parramatta and, and going through, you know, coach relationships, player relationships and writing down some big wins for each day, um, looking back and, and going, geez, I completely forgot that, you know, he didn't even believe in doing this beforehand and now he's doing it every day um, and stuff like that. It's For me, they're the wins that I love looking at that uh, probably the same to to, uh, to Mac is saying about those, you know, people coming that uh, to, to help or to ask for help. Um, I find the massive wins of looking at athletes and coaches following things that you've suggested or practicing what you've sort of preached and, and these type of things when they sort of put up the biggest, I suppose, wall to it um, and seeing the things that you've implemented into a, into a team setting become just the, the must-go-tos or written on a wall or compulsory things for the team and this belief behind things that you've started to establish. I, I find that um, a, a fantastic, I suppose, bearing to know that I'm going in the right direction um on top of obviously wins and losses and injuries and everything that we all get told about so often um but i think sometimes going through um hard hard years especially we had a wooden spoon year so uh, you don't get much harder than that um it was certainly one of those things that you need to be able to um look back and see well are you making an actual difference um in what's happening so i think that's been really important that's awesome so would you say Lockie, that with that because i was just trying to think about what you were saying there, that sometimes it's not necessarily whether someone tells us whether we're doing a good job, but rather if we walk away in our own reflection piece and know that we've done a great job or we feel that we've done a good job and made a positive influence, that sometimes that's what truly matters. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that, but I also think you can't be ignorant enough to think if, if heaps of people are telling you you're doing a bad yeah. job, you probably should reflect and see <laughs> they're feeling like yeah. that. <laughs> you can't just be walking away going, no, no, I did great. Um, but, no, I think because in, in our industry, as you'd know, that yeah, you're never as good as everyone says you are and you're never as bad as everyone says you are. And no matter what you're doing, there's always going to be people telling you you're doing a good job and doing a bad job. My mum's always going to tell – actually, my dad will always tell me I'm doing a good job. My mum's probably a bit more ruthless. Um, but, you know, you, you you're going to have these people that are always in your corner that you can't trust and people that are never in your corner that you can't trust. It's always something in the middle. And I think, um, I think having your own self-reflection that you've written down in that moment, in that day, um, just, just creates a little bit more objectivity to you reviewing your progress over weeks, months and everything like that. And, and that's not saying you have to say dear diary every night type of thing, but it's, um, it, it's, I've found something, those just little wins that you kind of forget about um, and you don't realise until you look back. And, you know, I was, 
at Paramount only for two years, so a blink of an eye as, as far as their culture goes. But I look back at the things they're still doing now and the things that I connected really strongly with our head coach despite me thinking, geez, there's no way this bloke's going to go for this. Um, if you know the head coach of Paramount and Brad Arthur, if you'd be on to meditation, you'd be kidding yourself. But he, he loves it and got into it. Started like Those type of things that for me are just, geez, that's incredible to, to look at. And you write that down and, and look back and go, well, you know, we might have lost a game and you feel like crap, but, you know, we're, we're heading in the right direction. I love, uh, I love the conversation piece. And I go back to what Ian said about the, the sense that, you know, people come back for your, um, your work or what it, your contribution because they, they value it. Um, the question then becomes, you know, going back to the, the opening of our conversation, which is this idea of, you know, specialist generalist to a degree. And, you know, we're taught to go and get really good at these things so that we can, they're deliverables in essence. And we, we want to be able to sort of express them or show that, Hey, we know we can do this. And Hey, look at this. This is in, in essence, the psychology of what we're doing is, Hey, I want to demonstrate that I can do, deliver this deliverable, so to speak over time, I think. And, and, and you, you know, we have a veteran group of guys in the room who've gone through different experiences. You, you start to recognize when you need to pull that tool out and when it makes its best effect and recognize that your job isn't so much to always pull the tool out and and demonstrate your effectiveness, but to sit in calm and wait for the storm that you have the solution set for. For younger professionals, that tends to be a difficult thing because there's this sense that you want to express what it is that you've, you've gone through the process of learning. So, I guess my question to everybody is in, in both from a mentorship perspective and a self-realization perspective, how do we get better at just being confident in the fact that we have the tools in our box, but we're only necessarily, we only necessarily have to use them when it really, when the opportunity truly presents itself and be comfortable with that. Dan, I should good, yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> I was I was going to say that I think um, I'll run with with Joyce's little metaphor because I love the the, the trenches style setup where you know, at the end of the day if, if I'm hired to make some you know in an organisation to be the strength and power coach um, there's no point if they're getting beaten up on the field every weekend but I go to the coach oh yeah but I'm really close to them all like we have really good conversations throughout the week I can tell you right now you're not going to be keeping your job for very long so I think the 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 idea is, you know, you, the, um, I suppose the, the adage of uh, when, when you're on a plane and you, you, you fit your mask first before helping others is, is the same sort of principle you've probably got to use in this. If you don't know your skill set, then there's no point broadening your horizon so far that you, you lose that ability to be a specialist in what you do. Um, so there's no doubt that I think every young coach still, still – like if you're a strength and conditioning coach – you know, start knowing what strength and conditioning is because that's going to be your bread and butter. But I think – Every strength conditioning coach is very good at reading stuff about strength and conditioning. So I think that's where you've, as a younger coach, you actually really do have to consciously allocate different topic areas that you need to widen your your uh, your focal point. Because you know, to, to what Joyce was saying, you want to be able to dig a deep trench, but you also want to be able to still speak to the people in the trenches next year. Um, so I think that's where the a, a young coach can very easily plan out. I'm going to learn about power and I'm going to learn about strength and I'm going to learn about all these different combinations for rate of force development. And, and before you know it, there are a whole heap of topics in your same 
niche. So, you know, you're going to be very good at looking at that and you're going to love looking at that. But I think it's it's that conscious mantra of a, of a young coach to to actually say, right, okay, what are some topics from a physiotherapy point of view that I should touch on? Um, and, you know, from a from a self-development point of view, from a business development point of view, all those type of things that, that you've, you've just got to be conscious as a young coach to dip your toe in to, to make sure you have an understanding. But um, to the point of, of others that have already spoken that, yeah, you, you can't be such a generalist that, uh, that you just sort of tiptoeing around everything and not actually committing to anything or to Mac's point of view, thinking you're an expert in everything when every, no one's an expert in everything and, and you know, Instagram gives people the the, uh, the voice to be able to portray an expert in everything when um, when they're doing the complete opposite. So uh, I don't know if that answers it or rambles, but either way, it's been able to hand it over to someone else. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Dan, you were going to make a point. Uh, yeah, I guess I was, I mean, yeah, just building on that. I guess <clears throat> I was going to say leadership's a lonely place. And the higher up you go, the less you get <clears throat> external praise, external validation, the more you need to get it from within. And the more it becomes less about you and more about the others. And I think talking to you know previous points by all, um, being able to sit quietly in the shadows, seeing the machine hum and seeing the people that work for you empowered to behave in the right way at the right time, follow a set of principles and, and constraints that mean that they are effective in their role, that their language is appropriate and engaging, that they're building the relationships they need to with the stakeholders that they have to, as in the players and the coaches. Um, that, that's, that's where you derive your true worth as, as a leader. And I guess um, to that point and to your question, and, and going back to Lucky's point as well, there's a piece here about role modeling the right behaviors so when when your team are together role modeling the curiosity of diverse thinking to to steal the words of others role modeling the fact that although you have the greatest believability in this area of expertise i'm as interested now in hearing from the physio from the nutritionist to get a collective perspective and i think what i found to my you know detriment and hopefully credit over time is the more you role model those kind of behaviors around that level of curiosity and pragmatism and consistency, um, the, the better your practitioners do. Um, and, and I've certainly had, uh, for my, my own sins, I've been sitting in that space, so I can empathise with it. I've certainly had people work for me who are in, incredibly good at what they do, but incredibly blinkered about others. Um, and it's only when you engage in, I guess, purposeful scenarios where, you openly value their input as much as that of the person who you know knows the most um, that, that helps them along that journey. And I think Lucky's point again about taking the time to journal and reflect and building space into people's days and weeks to be able to do that helps them to come to terms with internal validation of their progress, um, of obviously seeing the world through different people's eyes. But however you spin it, I mean, the people, I mean, I know I'm 42. So the, the people sitting around this table, you have to, you do have to go on the journey of self-discovery, becoming good at what you do, starting to open up. And all we're trying to do is increase that rate of development, I guess, which is through those areas. That's, that's how I'd answer that question. Mm. Bit of a ramble. Over to someone else. 
Here again with another word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order. Just use the discount code LYM20. Um, Dan touched on a point there which I really like about standing back and watching the machine hum and and the converse of that as well is um, that there's a guy, there's a there's a school that that teaches tech called the Lambda School, and the CEO has got one of the most insightful quotes on leadership I've I've ever heard or read, and it, it's along the lines of the unnerving thing about running a company or an organisation is is watching all of your personal flaws accidentally become codified in the culture of the organisation and and that comes to life um, years later in the actions and the behaviours of people that you've never even spoken to. Hmm. So that that can be your, your personal flaws or it can be your, your personal attributes as well. However you, whatever behaviour you model as the leader will become codified in the, the, the fabric of the organisation. So... Um, Again, genuinely have lost track of the question, but yeah, she answered it perfectly. Surprisingly, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so, sub, the subconscious, I'm screwing with your subconscious. <clears throat> I choose answer C. <laughs> I think also, um, Scott, you, know, you mentioned something about mentors, um, you know, and you know, I think it's a skill to know how to to pull back and, you know, how do we develop that? And, um, you know, we can, you know, I think mentorship, we, we talk about that a lot of that, you know, I'm sure we've all had great mentors in our time. And that's something that we talk about, well, you know, to younger coaches is find yourself a mentor, learn and, and you know, get them to have that open dialogue. So, you know, as you're saying, Joyce is, is like, um, hopefully if you're instilling the, the open conversation as, as a leader that, they're learning to do that. So they're, they're able to say, hey, I've got an idea. What about this? Um, and then as a young coach, they just, but it's a good idea. And it's it's usually only until several years later when, you know, we've all probably got great um, stories here that, you know, you, you sit down with that same person and you say, and, you, and they remember that point in time. And you both talk about it and say, yeah, it was, um, yeah, you were right. And, and it was a good good learning experience, and you know sometimes we learn from our mistakes, unfortunately. Um, but th- that's where the, I guess the mentorship really helps, and that was a good point from you, Scott. Um, the, the great Stephen Covey has that the saying: "Seek first to be to understand, then to be understood." Um, I, I want to sort of go around the horn to wrap this thing up because funnily enough, we've already spent an hour here together, but uh, it always goes fast. But what, what are your, and maybe, maybe you've never thought about this, but what are your ways of seeking to understand um, 
before, and I, and I say this with full uh, resignation that when I was younger, you know, my, my default was to be, to seek to be understood, not to understand. And I think it's when you start to recognize that you have to understand what's going on before you actually interject. And it kind of goes back to what my question was, David, in some sense, this idea that you need to pull your tools out and show them to people and kind of that self-validation piece we've been going through. But how, how have you guys in the process of your own personal growth come to, to find your best way of actually connecting to the problem and understanding the problem? You know, what, what do you do strategically? Maybe I'll start with David because he was the guy who brought this crew together. I think you're muted for some reason. Hold on a second. There we go. What I try and do, and I don't know if I'm always successful, what I try and do is get a, a rounded picture of what the problem is, and that is often not just consulting one person. Um, but, but irrespective, when I do speak to an individual about it, I'll ask them, I'll ask them what, what, the, what the problem is, um, but I'll, I'll frequently have to ask the same question in three different ways with just slight synonyms, you know, and, 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 it's, and I've found that it's the third or the fourth time you ask the same question in a slightly different way, the person cracks a, a little bit and will give you a nugget of what the true issue is. So um, it, it's rarely that um, the, the team wasn't strong enough on the weekend. It might be the fact that um, they got beaten up around the ball and the and actually the, the board is pressing on the, the coach about, you know, losing in the last minute or, or whatever. And it's, and it's the, the real issue is what's happening with the board. And, and it is just being relayed as being a strength deficit. So um, you, you kind of need to, to view finding out what the problem is in a really investigative manner and with purpose rather than just relying on what the first pass answer will be. Mm-hmm. And frequently that will be asking a number of people to get their, get their thoughts and, and generally speaking you have your trusted sources and then you get the, the regression to the mean and, and, and what is the most common thing is the problem. Uh, well, the most common response is probably close to what the true the true problem is. Mm. So long as you're not asking everyone that it just exists in an echo chamber, I think having a diversity of of thought in that is is helpful. I I, I really like your response, and here's something I'm interested for to pivot off of that from the rest of the gang is a lot of times asking questions. The, percep- the reason people don't ask questions is they perceive that they're going to be judged by the format of the question or they're not knowing to begin with. Um, and I'm curious what your guys' experience has been with that. Like, you know, a lot of times our coaches won't ask us questions because they perceive that by asking that question, they're going to expose a lack of knowledge or understanding of something, Right. And I think we feel that sometimes too, and maybe that's one of the reasons we don't inquire. So um, any thoughts on that? Dan? Uh, yeah, well, I guess from, from my point of view, um, 
Yeah, I've, I've been in that space a lot. And I guess coming back to stuff we've already talked about, that the more you ask those kind of questions and, and challenge yourself to be vulnerable with your coaches, the more they're going to potentially ask questions back of curiosity towards you. I think the big thing for me always is to get myself into the, the right headspace. Uh, I make the mistake often of acting before thinking in general life, as my wife will tell me, uh, spending spending before thinking as well. And there's a piece about making sure that before you go into a conversation in which you're genuinely trying to understand someone's point of view and, and having to ask questions which are going to make you vulnerable, you, you need to be in a place of self-assurance. And that is the kind of, that's the trigger for me. To, I, I prepare for stuff like that. So I make sure I'm in the right space mentally and emotionally. And I've got the right level of clarity and pragmatism about how important this really is in, in the grand scheme of things. And then I guess what I then do is I have the cue of always trying to see things through their eyes and almost calling that out and being explicit that, you know, I really want to under, I really want to understand this better from your point of view. Um, you're going to ha- help me do that. And the minute I ask for help and the minute I acknowledge my vulnerability from a place where I'm feeling self-assured enough to do it, that's usually the trigger for a better conversation with a, with a coach. And again, as Joyce said, it's never the first answer. It's, it's the third or fourth one. And it's, I guess it's being brave enough in yourself and being long enough in the tooth to understand that, you know, it's, it's not about you and you need to keep it away from it being, it's not about you. It's about finding the problem and therefore the, the right outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can only say that now because I've, I've completely gassed it up so many times, but when I get those building blocks, right, <laughs> things go better for me. Awesome. Yeah, probably I'll, I'll second that and say I've I've never been uh, never been hammered for saying help me understand it. Um, I've been hammered for just talking crap, trying to get myself around things. Um, but it's one hundred percent true. It's I think the older I get, the more I realise that what what exactly what Joyce was saying, asking different questions. I think people are too nervous to ask the actual question. Then you just simply say, look, I actually really don't understand where you're coming from. What do you mean by this, this, and this? And people people don't, that sort of diffuses the situation quite quickly because no one really gets angry at someone if they generally don't understand it. They might get frustrated if it's the third time they've gone through it. But an initial time where you simply say, look, actually, I don't understand it from your point exactly what Dan was saying, like, can you help me to understand how we're going to do this? Um, I think diffuses the situation. But um, but if you're sitting there going, no, 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 high-speed running's good. I don't care they've done three hamstrings. It's good. We're going to keep doing it. That That's not understanding, and they're just going to get more frustrated and more frustrated, and it dials it up more and more. So I agree with him. And Chris had a point, and then we'll finish with Ian. Yes. So, going, like, a point that I was thinking about, and, and Dan touched on just another way of, of saying it, so – you know, can we see it through their eyes? Or, you know, I was thinking, have we actually explained ourselves properly? Because we might have a, a great idea, but we may not articulate it in a way that they understand it in their language um, so that they can see it. So, you know, we spoke about earlier about, you, you know, the, the timing and understanding the situations. Is it is it that they, um, you know, because a loss or there's actually stuff going on at, at, a, at a higher level? But, you know, it's been able to, to read situations with, you know, the, the parties involved to actually go, well, actually, you know, now's not a great time. But um, I think, you know, walking away, you know, even as a, as a coach, you know, I remember one time I was one of the best explanations of a clean 
Um, and he, he goes, did you get it? I said, yeah, yeah, got it. And walked away and he was rubbish. And then I turned around and I said, um, you didn't understand a word I said, did you? And he said, no. Um, and then an athlete actually turned and said, how about this? And said something really simple. I can't remember what it was and just nailed it. Um, so did I explain myself properly? That's a really simple example, but no, I didn't explain myself properly. Um, so it's not necessarily um, what we're trying to get across, but it might be how we're putting the message forward. Mm, I like that. Ian? Yeah, I guess the other side of, of, of trying to solve problems, and uh, Chris, Chris just talked about it as well in a slightly different way, um, was around um, the, the biggest thing for me is being able to read the play um, and being able to read what's in what, what what's the what's the vibe in the room and what are we really getting uptight about? And then from that, like I, I spend a lot of my time. Um, it's just we call it being in your head movies. So what's going on in your, my head and all the the future imaginings of of what could possibly happen, and working back from that to then working out, okay, how can I stop these things becoming problems in the first place? So if it's stuff like high speed running if it's uh, we're talking about you know, reporting classical lengths to coaches and stuff like what what are we actually doing here like um you know they know what nordboard scores are they know what high speed running is they know what zone six is um our guys are very knowledgeable but it's because we've we've tried to the problems were because they they were ignorant to what we were actually trying to do so by sort of backfilling their their knowledge it then gives them an opportunity to then be part of a conversation which then stops this um us versus them and it's all about as as lucky said it's about help you know so whenever i go and say look guys i need help i need to be able to get this drill to be a little bit quicker or i need it to be a little bit wider so that i can get what we need you know from a load point of view can you you know does that help from a football point of view and actually having those conversations at that level that makes such a that i i don't like problem solving I'd rather have the problem solved before they even start. And that's kind of where I spend a lot of my energy um, on my head, head movies, trying to make sure that I've got, I've got myself ahead of the game. Um, and whether it is, it's then picking off the lieutenants, you know, the assistant coaches to make sure that, you know, it's normally the, the squeakiest wheel gets the most oil, you know? So if you can get on top of them, then, then the rest um, seems to fall in place. So it's, 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 it's about, managing that i think i think really helps so things don't become a big issue in the first place that's mm. that's certainly something which i i i didn't do well um but i'm starting to see that that's something which which is which is my role really mm. the only problem you have mac is, is when those head movies turn into head voices mate then you need to give it up that's why i've got the red wine <laughs> <laughs> Well, gentlemen, this has been fantastic over an hour of chatting. Uh, as I think it was Dan said at the beginning, we could probably speak, talk for several hours been on all of these kinds of conversations. And I look forward to uh, maybe one day bumping into all of you in, uh, in a bar somewhere and having a beer or whatever it is that we would be having. So uh, I've enjoyed this time. I hope it was f uh, fruitful and powerful for yourselves and uh, look forward to uh, letting the rest of the world hear, hear the conversation. So thank you for your time today, guys. Cheers, James. Thanks, Scotty. Good on you, boys. Have Thanks, a great day. Some of you have a good sleep. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Thank Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story. 
taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.